Luke 16 and verse 10. I have it at the end of your notes, but I think we need to read it right at the beginning. And then I want to just walk through straightforward 10 basic principles for uh, how he tells us New Testament believers how to give to the Lord. Now, one thing I'm trying to emphasize strongly is if you're not a Christian yet, you've never put faith in Christ, please do not give in these offerings because God wants to give you something. He wants to give you a gift, right? Eternal life's a, a free gift. Giving is just a family privilege of how we get to give back to the God who gave us everything. It's a privilege. It's a response of worship. And God gave us this means. So it's not uh, to be a guilt thing. It's not to be hard. Uh, uh, man, it's just to be a wonderful experience. And all of us that have been doing it, we know that experientially. But listen to verse 10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, he says something back in verse, um, let's pick up verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. And then he says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. Money is neutral. It's not positive or negative. But by means of money, and he's told the parable, use money for good. And he's told the story about a man that was going to lose his job decided to give everybody a financial break and guarantee he'd have a future. They'd remember him for his good deeds. And Jesus said, this guy's shrewd. He knew how to use money to win friends and guarantee income in the future. He, he just had everybody cut their bill in half. And he said, when I go looking for a job next week, do you remember me? I'm the guy that cut your bill in half. So he, he, he's paving the way for his future but I, he applies it to us, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. And I'm inclined to believe that if I use money the way God wants down here, I'll have people in eternal dwellings that will be thanking me for helping them. I fed somebody that couldn't feed themselves. I... I did good for missions or whatever. And so, Jesus has said, money is a test of your character. Uh, listen to what Richard Halverson, former uh, chaplain of the United States Senate, said. Jesus Christ said more about money 
than about any other single thing because when it comes to a man's real nature, money is of first importance. Money is an exact index to a man's true character. All through Scripture, there is an intimate correlation between the development of a man's character and how he handles money. You know, if he's in debt all the time, if he pays his bills on time, just hand me your checkbook and I'll tell you what you love. I can see where you spend discretionary money. I like something that, and we just, these are introductory thoughts before we get into principles. Aristotle said something that was profound. I just read it last week. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence is not an act, but a habit. And we can have uh, missionaries come. When we do Bible offerings here in the front, you people just outdo yourself. But some people, I think that's the only time they ever respond. They're not consistent givers. And even when I preach on money in this church, our giving doubles. It nearly doubles every time. People are reminded. They respond. Uh, thank the Lord. But they don't form the habit. They maybe respond to an emotional appeal. They've never formed the habit of being a consistent steward. Because materialism runs America. The average American shops six hours a week, but spends only 40 minutes a week with his children. Playtime. By the age of 20, the average American has seen one million TV commercials selling you something, something you don't need, something you don't want, and something you can't afford. Uh, but it's interesting, recently more Americans filed bankruptcy than any other time in our history. 90% um, of all divorce cases, the major issue is finance. They can't agree where the money goes. John Rockefeller said something, the poorest man I know is the man who has nothing but money, has no friends, Howard Hughes, down in Havana, Dies lonely, miserable, and rich. What a way to go. He said, I have made many millions of dollars, but they brought me no happiness. John Jacob Astor said, I'm the most miserable man on earth, and I'm worth millions. You see, it's an illusion to think money can meet the deepest need in your heart. Augustine said in the fourth century, Thou hast created us for thyself, and we will remain restless until we rest in you. And we've got the picture of Solomon with a thousand women in his harem. Silver was as common as rocks in Jerusalem. He said, I withheld myself from no pleasure under the sun, and yet it was all vanity chasing the wind. I was empty, empty, empty. And Americans, to a great extent, are empty people as they chase the elusive dream Leave the children, neglect the children. Many, if you read Newsweek, many younger people say, I want double income, no children, because children get in the way of my new sports car. So that's one reason we have smaller families. Did you know in America, if it was based on Anglos alone, our population would be in deep decline. It's immigration that's even keeping us up. 
uh, Afro-Americans are having less children. It's the Mexican Latino population that's coming in that have larger families, and our population stays. But other groups are cutting off having the children because children, you know, kind of consume resources. They don't make them. How many of you found that out? And uh, so let's go on the journey, and I'm just lifting topically from different places in the Bible Ten principles that seem to be all over the Bible, and I hope this can be a part of your life, not something you just get through this series. Number one, uh, he said this about believers. They ought to give. How you can read the New Testament and find out, even in the Bible, that there's over 2,000 passages about money, and Jesus talked about money more than heaven, hell, or the new birth, and miss it. Uh, you just got your eyes closed. You don't want to see it. God wants his people to give. Old Testament, they gave tithe. They gave first fruit offerings. They gave free will offerings. They gave love offerings. They built buildings. They offered sacrifice. God's people have always been known as people who give to God and are generous. They take care of widows. They take care of orphans. They were good to aliens. God wants his people to take resources and channel them, not on themselves, but to supply the needs of people and for the glory of God. Give, and it will be given to you. Luke 6.38. Uh, he tells you of the, a poor church in Macedonia. He doesn't say, don't participate in the offering. You're too poor to give. People gave more money in the Depression than they give today. And I've read to you repeatedly every week, if you make more than $1,500 a year, you're in the top 20% of the world's population. Anybody here make more than $1,500? Anybody drive a car? Anybody live in their own house? Well, then you're in the top 5%. So we're not the poor boys here. On the world economy, we've been given much, given much. Now what will we give back? That's the issue. Um, so, as a mature believer, I would just think if you went to a church, you'd think, somebody must be paying for this building. You know you're right. Somebody underwrites our youth group. How many, we, how many kids are we dealing with in our youth group? 250, 300? With children, with children thrown in, we deal with between children, junior high, and senior high. We're at least 300 to 350. You know what? Those kids are terrible givers. <laughs> They're not worth spit. Maybe we ought to cut that out. Man, if you can't give an offering every week, we're not having a youth group. No, kid, we're underwriting the youth group so we can help rescue you from getting in bad trouble. Is it worth it? Do you want to help a kid? The, none of our kids buy their own curriculum. Guess who pays for it? We. And when you say the church, from now on, I want you to say me. My brother has a line where he say, let the church pay for it. He said, the church is me. Me. We're the church. And so we underwrite a lot of stuff to a lot of people. We're going to throw this party down at Rodale Park here, son's birthday party. It's ridiculous. It started eight years on the side of the Union gas station, and Sean, instead of wanting a birthday party, said, I'd like to feed the poor on the south side of Rodale that live near the projects. Is that not stupid? And about 100 poor people showed up. I was there. Carolyn wanted a hot dog, so I had to take her. 
and we fed about 100 poor people on that first Sean's birthday party. Now, the next one coming up, we feed about 1,000 every time we do this party. What a waste. We give all these project kids a gift. We give them a gospel track. We sing to them. We paint their face. We fuss over them, and we say, Jesus loves you. If your mama's strung out on crack and you don't know who your daddy is, somebody saying they love you and giving you a gift might impact them for eternity. Do we want to do it? Somebody underwrites it. You say, well, is that making us money? We're not trying to make money. We're trying to enrich a life. Give. Give regularly. Look at 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16. Now, when I come to 1 Corinthians 16, once I get back to the book, I'll try not to double this sermon, okay? Get it now and you'll be saved. Now concerning the collection for the saints, and this was this offering for the poor, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Now, this was a special one-time offering for the poor, and he wanted it not to be an emergency. Be setting this offering aside so that when I get there, it's not an emergency. But in their regular church life, every first day of the week, they took an offering, and they were to come prepared for that offering. So I would just simply say, um, learn to give regularly, not just spontaneously or emotionally. Uh, do not wait for special appeals. Let it become a way of life for you. Just show up ready to do it. Uh, and it's not something you get. Some people say, well, should I give if I don't feel like it? Well, should you go to work in the morning if you don't feel like it? I do a lot of things that I don't feel like doing. I just got my PG&E bill. It just an emotion came over me. I got goosebumps. I get to pay it. I don't have to feel anything. It's just a part of adult life. It's an obligation. I like to keep the family warm, okay? And so some people say, well, what if I don't feel like it? Or should you pray when you don't feel like it? Should you attend church when you don't feel like it? Thank you, Kevin. Do you, should you, some of you don't feel like being here today. But I warned you when I'd be speaking on it, it's your fault. But you may not feel, you know what? So many times I do things that I don't feel like it doing. I do it because it's right. I do it because it's taught. And then the feeling comes later when I just obey. Don't, don't wait for goosebumps to come over you before you do it. No, let it be a part of your regular habit. Do it regularly. Then he says you ought to do this proportionately. Uh, Give according to how God blesses you. Of course, every week in that culture, they were paid daily. Uh, no telling what came in. A lot of people do this on giving. Uh, they set $10, uh, you know, years ago. Uh, and so every week they give their $10, and they think they're giving. No, 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 no. He said, do this in keeping with uh, as you prosper. You set that amount when you were back in the 1950s, probably. And you're up here making more money, different economy, 
always adjust your giving to your prosperity. Uh, it's even we talk about the Old Testament and tithing. That was the, the basement. That was the beginning place. But did you know there's many believers started there, and, and every year they raise it a percent. And you'd be amazed at how many believers give 20 25%, I had a friend of mine in Dallas Seminary. Uh, he said, every year I raise my giving by a percent. And he came from a very poor country. Because the goal wasn't I set this percentage that got God out of the way. The goal is how much of it can I give to God before I see him face to face? Everything I keep, I lose. Everything I give in his name, I keep forever. It's just the law of eternal economics. What I give to Jesus Christ, I never lose. Everything I spend on me, I lose. When you bury me, it's all gone. I have all those meals, all that stuff, it's gone. There's no credit in heaven for how many clothes I bought. It's only what I passed on. So he said, give proportionately. And uh, some of you, if God was to give you double your income, we'd get the same amount of offering because you don't know proportion. That's what tithe did, at least. It gave Israel proportionate to what the way I bless you. Propor- and that's the basement. I think that's the basement for you. Start there. I dare you to start there and tell me if you die of malnutrition. Let us know just before you die, and I'll buy you lunch. Because it won't happen. It won't happen. God will see to it. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Never. Anybody know where that is? Psalms 37. Remember that. Psalms 37. Uh, Give generously. And we've got this. uh, If I had time, I would read to you John 12 and Mark 14. What, what biographies of contrast. Let me give you the picture. It's uh, the last week of Christ's life. Mark doesn't give her name. John 12 does. It's Mary at the house of Simon the leper. Mary's probably the sister of Lazarus. She shows up, and, and she's got this offering, and it's a, a pound of precious spices that were exclusive, worth one year's worth of wages. So whatever you make a year, say that's what this gift she had. And while all the men are talking and around there, we got this woman, Mary, breaking the bottle, pouring out the perfume, lavishing her adoration on Jesus. And all of a sudden we hear this, What a waste. What a waste. This could have been sold and given to the poor. Mark doesn't tell you at first who it is, but John's gospel, chapter 12, tells you it was Judas who kept the money bag. (coughs) They had a money bag that the disciples to buy food. By the way, during the ministry of Christ, it was women who underwrote Jesus. There's no place where men underwrote him. It said some women underwrote them. And so Judas 
was the guy that carried the bag. And John said he was pilfering the bag. All three years he traveled with the band. He'd help himself to the money. And he says, wait, stop her. This is, over, this is over the top. She's given too much. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Don't touch this woman. She did this to prepare me for my burial. And as long as this gospel is read, her name shall be revealed. And what she has done to me today, I will see to it that my people for 2,000 years know that she lavished her love on me in a generous gift. You got a devil, and you got a giver. Sometimes I'm tempted to say you're one or the other. How can you hang out with Christ and not be a giver? How can you hang out with the gift of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross? Gives himself up, became poor, as we looked at, that we might be rich, and then to be stingy at the foot of the cross with such a Savior. All my giving, ultimately, I would write it, I would write my check to Jesus Christ. It's just hard for the United States government to recognize it. So I write it to Valley Bible Church, but let me tell you, in my mind, if this church doesn't represent Jesus, I'm going to give it someplace that it does because I'm really giving to Jesus, not to this church. Do you understand that? We're giving to God. If you're not giving to God, keep your money. Please keep your money. Keep your money. Quote me, I said, keep your money. You've lost everything. You've lost the whole purpose of it. This is the, uh, the chance of a lifetime to do something for someone you love. You know, I used to always take my mother out to breakfast every Monday, Carol and I, after my dad died. We'd take her out on Monday. That was our day to take her out. You know, I did it. One, I loved her. Two, I remember all the doctor visits she took me to from the age of two to five when I was in braces and crutches and crippled children, Pill Hill and Oakland. My poor mother was at a doctor's office twice a week practically trying to get her baby boy well over this fall I took. I took her to say, Mama, this is the least I can do to show you thanks for all the doctor's trips. Thanks for all the nights you rubbed my legs so I could go to sleep. For all the nights you took my temperature. And to be grown it, Mother's Day, to be a strain for me, for my mother. And when you act that way toward your God, I say, you must not know him. Or you must not have had a God as good to you as that Irish mother of mine. It wasn't a strain. I wasn't trying to earn points. I was trying to give a gift. See, as surely Caesar, you say, I was feet for you when you couldn't walk. I was arms for you when you couldn't reach. I was there for you. Remember, your mama, transfer that to your God. I was lost without Christ. I had no hope, no future. For me, you know, being a Richmond boy, I knew I was going to hell with the guys I was running with. There was no mistake. I knew Christ was God, but I didn't want him in my life. And I knew if I got killed on the streets one of those nights, I knew where I'd go. I give now every offering is a thank you for Calvary. Every offering is a thank you for you came looking for me and you found me. 
If you don't get that motive, see, that's why this thing could be so mechanical that it, it loses, God is even nauseated at our gifts. It's when you say, thanks for the cross. Thanks for giving. I'm responding. I'm not earning anything. I've all, do you know what? You go to heaven free of charge, all charged to the cross. This won't make you go to heaven quicker. You'll go to heaven lighter, but not quicker. You, some of you, that's too heavy. Uh, uh, fifthly, give intentionally, purposefully. Uh, right there in that uh, verse, he said, do this on the first day of the week. Uh, how many of you have been coming here for at least three years? What do we usually do every Sunday at some time? We take an offering. Uh, you know, I wish we just had a camera of some of the people, the scrambling acts. Oh, there's an offering? And then moths are flying out. And they pull out a dollar. When we were at the Rio, we had a man one Sunday morning our ushers taking the offering. And a man, I noticed one of our ushers was just stopped at the aisle, and he kept on going on. And later after the service, I said, what's the problem? He said, the guy wanted change for a $5 bill. I said, well, I guess we could buy you coin boxes, you know, just to and make change. And our usher was so wise. He said, we don't make change in this church. Yes, we don't. You know what? You haven't planned to give. You probably shouldn't. I, I get a set of envelopes every year. I get them right from my church. I keep them in the drawer where I pay all my bills. And when I actually, I, I got a check today. Grant's got it because he says, I want to see you give, so I'll be sure he puts it in or he'll quit as a deacon. You know, so he knows uh, right there because I'm going to be taking the offering. But, uh, well, I'm cut off God. Get over it. No, no. You could go out and have a donut until we take the offering, I guess. But I'm going to see from now on, when you go to the donut cart, either give your offering at that time. No, we'll. But, uh, you know, it, it ought to be planned. This, this spontaneous stuff, no, that's not mature. We, we need $36,000 to $40,000 every week whether you plan to give or not. Guess what? The expenses go on. And so he told them, be ready. Be prepared. Don't make it something that catches you off guard. He says, give voluntarily. Uh, most of our ushers do not uh, seize the money from you. They try to receive it. Uh, each man should give what he has decided in his heart not with reluctance or grief or under compulsion. But remember, that doesn't mean uh, that you always have to wait for the goosebumps to come over you. No, no. This is planned giving. Give sacrificially. And what I think of this woman who gave a year's worth of wages, I think of what he told the churches of Macedonia. That there's three standards by which people give. They either give below what they're able or they give according to what they're able, as the Macedonians, or they give beyond their ability to give. Now, which one are you? Do you give below your means to give? You could give more. You could if you would, 
And some of you are saying, I would if I could. So you should, would, could. So you give below, uh, and you're just throwing some money in there, or you're giving in keeping, proportionate, uh, whatever you've decided. Or, and these Macedonians, of course, they gave beyond, beyond what you, you think they could do. So uh, sacrificially, and especially when a special need, as you've been doing, uh, you know, we have a special need. I, I'm amazed. I see Dave Hurtado here, and different times we put our Bible out. A while back, we put out our Bible for uh, winter camp. And uh, because so many kids in our youth group do not come from Christian homes or homes that have any finance, and I think that Bible offering was about six or $7,000. You know what we did? We sent a bunch of kids to camp. Now, you could say, well, hey, I paid for my kids. Wasn't that wonderful that you were able to do that? Praise the Lord. That's the way we wish. But did we waste our money sending a kid whose folks didn't have the money? See, this boy right here, he came to this church when he was in, what grade were you? Freshman. Uh, Montoya was a youth pastor. Hey, he said he never would have gone to camp if the church hadn't underwrote him. Wanted to go to college? Did this church help you? When you went to seminary, did it help you? And look at the wasted investment we made. <laughs> no, no. Give me one hurtado is worth every Bible offering we've taken. Amen? One hurtado. Yeah. We didn't waste it. We invested we invested in a young boy whose father had died. Mama dies of cancer. We got an investment in this boy. Comes back, leads our junior high, just off, off the top. Outstanding. See, we're not wasting money. How much money you got from their last trip to Vegas? Well, I know you did that in the other life. But how, how, how much money did you leave, honey? How much money did you leave at the table? And just call it a weekend. Got a guy that used to go to this church. He said, I've gone through three fortunes. I asked him, how did you lose them? He said, I snorted them. And my nose still bleeds because as a real estate guy, I made money, money, money. And I was in the 60s and the 70s, and all I knew what to do with it was snort cocaine. But, man, we had some great parties. You had some great parties. Have you ever given as much to God as you paid for drugs? What's the difference? Drugs don't do anything but ruin your life. Jesus Christ saves you. Jesus Christ has saved your marriage. Christ has saved your children. Well, uh, we got to hurry up in this. This is too hard on us. Um, Give with excellence. I, he's telling them in actually verse 7, you should excel in this matter of giving like you excel in everything else. So if you want to be excellent in the Christian life, learn to excel at being generous as God enables you. He told them to uh, give cheerfully in verse 7 of 9-7. He said, God loves a cheerful giver. Um, listen to that. 
Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I wonder why. Because God's cheerful in giving. God never begrudges giving to us over and over. And then he says, give worshipfully. And I think of what he said of the Macedonians. They first gave themselves, then they gave their offering. It was said of Cornelius uh, that he was religious and devout and gave his gifts to God in Acts 10. A, a measurement of his devotion to the living God was his willing to part with things, to give to God. Um, I just want to encourage you that uh, all of us are headed for eternity quicker than we want. 19-year-old, um, you know, I look at myself. My dad had already been dead three years at my age. Already been dead three years. I thought my dad lived forever. Cancer hit him. It was over. My first funeral when I came to Pinot. It's over. I, I've had him in the ground longer than I had him above the ground in my life. It'd be all over, and I think some of us are going to come to the end, and I, I think of Oscar Schindler at the end of the movie in Schindler's List. You know, when the Allied forces are coming in, and Schindler's there with all these Jewish people that he saved from the Holocaust and from the ovens of Hitler. And he's there, and if you see that moving scene, I could have saved more as he takes his gold pen and throws it at the tracks and is carted off in a limousine. I could have saved more. I could have saved more. Um, what will your epitaph be? You probably know the story about uh, Alfred Noble, that uh, his brother uh, passed away, Ludwig, and uh, the French newspaper got mixed up. They thought it was Albert. And so when they printed the obituary, they put in the obituary the man that helped to kill thousands because he invented dynamite. The man who helped kill thousands. Let me read it to you. He was described as a man who became rich from enabling people to kill each other in unprecedented quantities. And as Alfred read this obituary that was mistakenly printed, it should have been of his brother, but they printed it about him he was so shaken by how he would be remembered that he immediately put up $9 million to start rewarding those who had done great things for humanity and thus the birth of the Nobel Peace Prize. It came out of a wrong obituary, and a man said, I don't want to be remembered for how many people I enabled armies to kill with dynamite that's not what I want my legacy to be. Your legacy will be what you give yourself to. And see, there's very few great causes I know. You know, I'm a 60s boy. There's Peace Corps. There was civil rights. Come on. 
If I'd understood civil rights as I do now, I'd wanted to march with King. I'd been shot, but I believe in what he marched for. Our black brothers and sisters deserve a place at the counter. They deserve a piece of American life besides a cotton sack. I, that was a cause worth dying for. American youth have no causes. Uh, another techie advice, you know, advise something, something else I could text. One more uh, electronic invention. I meet you at Starbucks and talk about nothing. There's no cause. The only cause is uh, maybe making money, and nothing is as boring as just making money and not knowing what to do with it. I, uh, I say to you, how much could you do if you'd be generous with God who did everything for you? Uh, I count one of the great privileges of my life is to be able to give back to God. You know, 40 years ago, every car I had, somebody in this church gave to me. I couldn't buy cars. I had no money. But men in this church gave me their old cars. I used to have guys they'd cap on me because I always drove the worst car in the church because people, when they got ready to trade in their car, they'd give it to me, and I'd drive it until it died. There was no trade-in value by the time I got through with it. <laughs> it was done. But then you folks gave me a car 10 years ago. What, a, what, what do you think I felt like on that day from no cars, getting rid of my car to a church gives me a car? You see, you can't outgive the Lord. You can't outdo him. He, he's so wonderful. I'm trying to invite you to the party of making God. See, if I was, uh, you're, just think you just paid me to financially plan your life. If I was a secular planner, I'd say, first of all, quit giving the church. You're already in debt. You've got to get out of debt, okay? Uh, because I know some of my family have been told by counselors, you give it too much to the church. Now they've become Christians. They said, we're giving just like you guys. We got a, a Jewish woman that used to do my brother's taxes, my sister's taxes. She'd always say, you're giving too much to the church. And David said, it's none of your business what I give to the church. I'm paying you to file my taxes, not tell me how to give, just so you know where I'm coming from. Guess what? God just hauled off and saved her. And now when he does his taxes, he said, I'm doing just like you. I can't give enough to this cause. She's a Christian. So I just say to you, um, are you investing any money in seeing some kid come to Christ? Are you giving any money to missions? Keep on praying with us. Next Sunday, by God's grace, we're going to eliminate the $150,000 debt and uh, it, we've incurred because we want to keep giving to the poor. 61000 we gave to poor people last year. We want to keep giving to missions, 110000 we gave last year. We want to add staff. We, we don't want to quit. We want to go out giving, praying, and our last breath saying we tried to hold the cross up and reach our generation while we had breath. We weren't living for material things. We were living for eternal things. Brothers, would you come? I want to ask these precious people to give as the Lord directed them. They make no change. And if, you, if you're scrambling, kind of conceal it. Do it under a coat or something. 
We don't want to see you scramble. This ought to be planned. Get some envelopes in the back, and you can do this at home. Our Father, when I look at it, it seems all so mechanical. And unless the Spirit of God controls our heart and our motives, we can ease our conscience and even give out a guilt and never really give. I pray for these precious people that have been giving weekly and getting us out of this slump. Our whole economy is in a great slump. You have faithfully stood by us for these 40 years, and we're just looking to you, precious, precious Lamb of God. Multiply our ability to do good with money. Let us do more for young people, seniors, missions. There is a a world of need, but we can't give what we don't have as a church. Enable us to be greater givers as a church, as leaders, overseeing finance. May we be more gracious in our hearts than ever as you continually and richly supply. Bless the offering. I know you will. Bless the individual that I pray will give with all their heart, whether it's little or much. That's between you and them, Lord. But may they do it as unto you so that we learn to honor you in everything. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.